In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, we're talking about crypto airdrops and why I believe crypto airdrops are actually a net negative for the space and something you should be very careful chasing around. Now, to be more specific about this, let's talk about crypto airdrops and what's going on right now in the space. Crypto airdrops are not necessarily a super new thing, but something that's become very, very, very popular for pretty much every launching project and protocol today. Airdrops are a mechanism by which a project team, particularly for L1 chains or L2 chains, DeFi protocols, they are encouraging people to come and bring liquidity to their project, to bring liquidity and their, you know, basically bring your crypto in and interact with the protocol to bootstrap it. And in return, they will reward you in tokens. Now, there's a lot of projects out there that are offering airdrops and being very clear about it from the beginning. There are lots of projects who have not announced an airdrop, but people are speculating that there will be one. And the reason people like airdrops is because, well, you would imagine well, it's free money, right? It's an ability for me to go and interact with a project, do certain tasks, uh, add liquidity to a liquidity pool or trade on a DEX, etc. And then in return, I get native tokens for that particular protocol. So it's a means of distribution of tokens to reward early users. And in the very beginning of airdrops, that was the entire point, is to reward early participants, early users of a protocol, and help those people who have sort of deep-seated uh, experience and in sort of um, investment in a given protocol to help them become a part of the governance process for the project. So you saw uh, the Ethereum name service, for example, do an airdrop. They release tokens. And the whole point of that airdrop was to have people participating in governance based on how invested they were and how much they had interacted with uh, ENS over the years, buying domains, um, using the different features of the protocol. Now, we've started to get away from the original idea behind airdrops. And as we've seen time and time again, like we did with the ICO, decent idea, but taken because of greed to a completely ridiculous level. I think crypto airdrops are the next ICO boom. They are unsustainable. They don't do what they're supposed to do in terms of in building a sustainable community around a project. And I'll give you a few reasons why I think airdrops are actually a net negative here. Number one, crypto airdrops encourage people to use a protocol or to use a project for the wrong reasons. People go and use your DeFi protocol, they add liquidity, and then they start trading on that DEX, for example. And the only reason they're doing that is because they want to capture airdrop funds. As soon as that airdrop is released, those people are not wedded to or not necessarily guaranteed to continue using that DEX. That creates risk for other users of that DEX. Because if you have a bunch of large players who are just moving liquidity from one DEX to the next in order to capitalize on airdrops, and they yank the liquidity as soon as the airdrop launches, you then are often leaving your organically growing users holding the bag. That's a problem. The second reason, in, and the sec or I guess the second factor in this, building a community the wrong way, is when you financially incentivize your users, there becomes an expectation that that continues. And when you have that in a DEX, you're in a really rough place. There are 
really successful decentralized exchanges or DEXs like Uniswap that are having this problem right now is how do we reward our users? How do we balance the economy around our DEX to adequately reward liquidity providers and just users of the DEX and holders of the UNI token? You see where you get this contention now between the holders of a governance token that may or may not have been airdropped, Uniswaps was, and the actual lifeblood of the protocol, the liquidity providers. So all of this to say, you're building a community based on a fleeting reward system that's not necessarily a long-term reward system. That's something that is not sustainable. And the last piece of this puzzle in terms of sustainable growth and where airdrops actually can set a protocol back is in the governance piece. And that kind of brings me to my second point, which is it actually poses a long-term risk to a project to go too heavy-handed with an airdrop. And that's because governance is in part in play here, right? So when you own tokens, you often have a vote in um, proposals to manipulate certain certain protocol rules or to determine the the path forward or the path the project takes and how development functions you just saw ens an example i used earlier fully hand over the project to its token holders and in a way that makes a lot of sense that's what their goal was but i think that as a lot of projects do airdrops and they do sizable airdrops even even if it's single digit percentages of supply the early phases of a project are very delicate, very fragile, and projects are very fragile. Communities are very small. And when you have people coming in with size and claiming airdrops, then participating in governance and voting on proposals, you now have people who are not invested in any way except for financially in your project that now have voting power. But you also have to think about how you control the size of that voting power so that it doesn't sway the direction of the project going forward in an unforeseen way. So I'm not a huge fan of trying to build a community via airdrops because I don't think it actually works. I think it works temporarily to sort of get people interested and buzzing and try it. But if there's nothing to differentiate your project from there, that initial bump from your airdrop, the promise of free money, you're just going to see a huge drop off after that. And then you're starting from the exact same place that you would have started before. How do we build features and that draw liquidity and build this organically, which I think is the right way to do it. The governance piece is an even more nefarious one. It's even more tricky to deal with because now you have token holders who are financially driven and not really driven by any fundamental belief in your project or protocol that now have voting power. And then you take that to the, the third piece here, which is that in the long term, I actually don't think that airdrops are good for the price of a particular project. And so for people that are really driven by the token price, I personally think that airdrops end up putting downward pressure on the price of a particular project early on. And a lot of projects will tell you, especially DEXs, for example, is in the absence of an airdrop, it's the initial launch of the token, the speculation starts to drive the price up organically in nature. And that's what drives other people to try to try the decks or to try the project. And the same goes for L1s. L1 chains draw in liquidity by creating differentiated features and having projects that are cool built on them. 
rather than doing an airdrop, which I think is an unsustainable way to go about this. Now you start to then think about airdrops, then you have staking or you have people running node operations, etc. You're starting to play with the economic security model in networks as well when you airdrop with size. All of this to say, I really believe that airdrops are a fun thing that everyone is chasing right now, but the sheer volume of airdrops right now start to dilute the very value that people ascribe to airdrops from the project or protocol perspective. The reason projects are doing airdrops is because they feel they have to, to cut through the noise of the market. It's a com competition for liquidity and a competition for attention. And so you see people posting threads on X about uh, the next big airdrop that you need to be looking at. Here are all these projects. Every single one of these projects is doing an airdrop because they feel that they have to do an airdrop to garner that attention. If you look at Solana, you look at Celestia, you look at new Ethereum projects, pretty much all across the market, airdrops are the new thing. And I'm sorry to report that airdrops are not a sustainable mechanism going forward to grow a project. And when everyone's doing an airdrop, you're back to the exact same place that you started is what can we build that is going to draw users into my project over somebody else's? As an L1 chain, what can we do to get developers to build cool things on our L1 chain that's going to draw in users and liquidity and pull it away from established chains like Ethereum, like a Solana, to an extent like a Cardano, etc. What can we do to stand out amongst those? So when everyone's doing an airdrop, it's now back to the fundamental, which is what makes my project special such that people want to come to my project over another one. And you can do that without distributing tokens in any real major size to people who do not care about your project at all and do not care if the price goes up beyond when they sell it, right? So airdrops, people aren't gonna like this opinion, I'm sure. Some may agree with me, others may disagree. I would welcome your commentary in the comments on YouTube or if you're listening on the podcast platform, there is a section for you to give your thoughts. Um, yeah, so let me know what you think about this. Do you think airdrops are a good thing for crypto, a bad thing for crypto? You know where I stand. I'd like to hear where you stand. So let me know when you can in the comments or in the feedback on the podcast platforms. The other thing I wanna talk about today is an interesting uh, an interesting conundrum that I've started to come across, which is this massive, massive competition amongst L2s in the Ethereum space. And people have been asking me, well, what do you think? Is it going to be a future of optimistic rollups? Is it going to be a future of ZK rollups? Or is there something new that we haven't discovered yet? My belief is that if we look at it from a purely technological perspective, we look at it from a purely um, pure fundamentals perspective, I personally think that the future is likely to sort of rely more heavily on ZK rollups. I think ZK rollups are a little bit more efficient from a technology perspective for a lot of the things that people like to do in crypto. The optimistic rollup period where you have, or you, sorry, the optimistic rollup mechanism where you have sort of waiting period um, where you're assuming transactions are not nefarious hence the optimistic part, and then basically verifying over time throughout a waiting period. 
that definitely doesn't suffice for people that actually need to move funds from the L2 or they need to settle to the L1 faster. And when bull markets start to really rage and start to move forward and people are moving liquidity around, people are moving tokens around, they're jumping from one L2 to the other, they're trying to jump from one ecosystem to the other, they're not going to want to wait for those transactions to settle and for the resolution of the optimistic roll-up. They're going to want pretty much immediate or as close to it exits and settlement to the L1. So I personally believe that's just driven by fundamentals of what will likely materialize based on user demand. In terms of what I think is best for protocols from a technology standpoint and from a security standpoint, I actually think diversity is very important. I think there is a place and there should be a place for both optimistic rollups, ZK rollups, and technologies or sort of permutations of those that we haven't really seen uh, gaining interest. And I think if you were to ask folks in the Ethereum ecosystem who are pretty much laser focused on just that, they will tell you that the future of Ethereum is L2-centric, but it's a diverse set of L2s. And there are so many different flavors of even those that I talked about, right? Between optimistic rollups and ZK rollups, you have everyone taking a slightly different perspective and taking a different take on it, a different implementation. And that's very important. Uh, if you look at L1 blockchains, the, the things that I think need to be focused on in 2024 and going forward is how you establish your protocol from a security perspective at those base layers. So having client diversity, meaning the actual software that underpins the blockchain, the nodes that people run that make up the blockchain, there needs to be diversity in those particular clients such that an issue or a mistake in one client doesn't bring down the network altogether. So for projects like Cardano and Solana and others, they're going to need to really, really hammer home on that one, drive that as hard as they can. For projects like Solana, the order of business is stability. For Cardano, the order of business is building um, building the developer community and have helping that those developers build cool things on Cardano that drive people and draw people in. And doing that in a way that takes advantage of the underlying changes or the underlying uh, technology decisions that were made for Cardano that make it unique from other chains. Developer experience is the next big thing for L1s to focus on. And that is probably the second biggest thing besides the fundamentals of security and performance and all of those sorts of things. So scalability that we've talked about for years and years now. Developer experience is what takes L1s, for example, that are all relatively equal in footing from the perspective of the baseline technology piece. And that's what elevates it above others. And so there's a lot of talk about chains like SWE right now. Everyone's talking about SWE. Some people hate it, some people love it. That's how it goes in crypto. One of the things that I think SWE is doing a pretty good job of is really focusing on the developer experience. And way back when, when I first looked at SWE and I looked at the paper and I was reading up on it and I initially shared my thoughts with you saying we should watch it. Um, one of the things that I talked about back then was the developer experience, the focus on making it easy to build cool things and packing in some of the features and functionality that developers once had to take care of themselves on an Ethereum, for example, and basically baking that into the developer experience or baking that into the chain itself. So that's something that I think in 2024, 
the winners of the L1 battle, and there'll probably be many of them, maybe single digits, maybe double digits, like in the tens of L1s that really rise above the crop. But the ones who win are the ones who really are going to double down on the um, the aspects of performance and stability and security, and then build quality developer experience on top of that. A lot of projects focus, in my opinion, erroneously on drawing in users first, rather than drawing developers first. That's the order that people should go into. Because if you draw in users, but there's nothing cool on the chain, those users are just going to leave anyway and go somewhere else. If you focus on building a quality L1 chain, maybe you're an L2, same rules kind of apply in my opinion. You focus on bringing in developers, incentivizing developers to build their cool thing, their cool idea on your particular chain or your particular L2. And that is what will draw in users. Or at least now you have enough on your chain in order to draw in users and keep them. Because uh, I guess in the, in the marketing world and in the world of product, customer acquisition cost is something you only want to undertake when you're relatively confident that you can hold on to that customer and they can you can continue to sell to them, right? So in this case, you're not necessarily selling, but you want people to continue using your chain uh, and keep liquidity there, bring more liquidity in. So there are a bunch of projects that do this pretty well. I think Polygon does this really well, incubating projects that make people interested in coming to their chain to build things. Uh, and then builders draw in users who use things. And then other builders are like, hey, there's a lot of users there. I should also build there. Um, you know, again, Polygon's not perfect. I cannot think of one project that exists right now that's doing everything correctly, that's doing everything perfectly uh, at different phases or different layers of this. So people have been asking me about my analysis on layer twos and then analysis on layer ones and how I go about thinking of them. Um, this is just a little bit of sort of my thesis for what we're going to see in 2024 and beyond as it relates to L2s and L1s. Now, the last thing I want to do is answer one question that I got on, on Twitter, and I'm going to do another show here that's pretty much exclusively Q&A. So don't worry, if your question doesn't get answered, then um, stick around, subscribe to the channel. It's definitely worth your time. I'll be answering more questions. Where was that question? Ah, here it was. So uh, people were asking my thoughts on the uh, Luxo standard proposals. And this is basically... Um, you know, Luxo is a another project that's out there. Um, Luxo's been building out new standards for tokens, basically. So you have fungible and non-fungible tokens. And I did a little bit of a of a look when this question came in at the um, the competing standard, the equivalent Luxo standard for ERC twenty. I forget exactly what that standard is called. Someone will have to let me know in the comments. I do all these videos sort of off the cuff, so. Uh, if I forget something, I forget something. I'm not going to stop and look it up. So what I think is most interesting about projects that are building competing standards for ERC-20, and it wouldn't be the first, you have the benefit of hindsight. You have benefit of looking at Ethereum and looking at the ERC-20, which has major issues, by the way. Um, you have issues, especially with the uh, approval functionality, both expensive and dangerous to use, but you have the benefit of hindsight. So you can look at ARC20 and say, what's broken here? Um, 
And some of the things in this look so standard are actually really, really nice, right? So native batching. So the ability to take what I would presume based on what I read, multiple fungible token types, multiple fungible tokens and send them hopefully to multiple different sources in one single transaction. So that if that's a thing that I think would be really great to have in ERC-20 because if you're gonna pay these high fees, I would ideally like to see the ability to do that. I don't think there's really a way to do that sustainably inside of the current ERC-20 standard. So that's something that uh, probably we won't see. ERC-1155 technically allows you to do that with fungible tokens on Ethereum. So interesting, if 1155 were adopted more, maybe that would be something that's more equal. The other thing I saw was a, a big focus on solving for the, the transfer and transfer from uh, functionality and the ability to allow, I forget the terminology they used in theirs. Um, I, oh, it's operator. It's basically saying me as the owner of a token or an operator. So I assume that means the operator of say a decentralized exchange can move tokens on my behalf. And to do that in a way that's far better than the ERC-20 approve functionality, the approvals functionality, which is again, terrible. Um, and then the last thing that I think is interesting in the Luxo standard is the ability to basically create a, and see that the terminology here doesn't make sense, but basically create a fungible, non-fungible token, which is just a paradox. It doesn't make any sense, but the idea here is more so to create a fungible item of which there's a multitude of supply and ascribe metadata to that. So if you think about a stackable item, my mind always goes back to RuneScape. That's the, the, the game that I used to play, the MMORPG I used to play as a kid um, and as a teenager and actually as an adult still, I think it's fun. The reality is um, having this in game is very important. The ability to stack multiple units of an item with metadata. So to use a RuneScape analogy, when you are doing a crafting activity and you are taking uh, one item that's stackable, say logs, and you're cutting them into uh, bow shafts for, to, to do fletching, then you're moving from one stackable item to the other. And using this standard where you have the ability to have units that are fungible with metadata would allow you to do potentially um, a burn action and a subsequent mint action for multiple different items with different metadata for that sort of crafting functionality. Um, so I think very valuable. In the ERC-20 standards, very limited metadata availability in the standard, and that limits what you can do with the ERC-20s and the different functions that you can set up with it. You can always extend ERC-20 to do that, but then there's compatibility aspects that you have to think about. So the Luxo standards, very cool. I'll look into them a little bit more. This was my first cursory look like 10 minutes before I started. So I will I will look into them some more. If you have additional questions that you'd like answered, please leave them in the comments on YouTube or you can also tweet me on X. My handle is at Hashoshi4 and I'd love to answer more questions. I usually put out a comment the day before I start filming some videos for the weekend uh, asking for questions. So if you have one that you'd like answered, please do uh, leave that in the comments, or again, you can tweet me at Hishoshi4. Thanks as always for watching. Hope you have a great one, and I'm about to crush this coffee because I was so distracted talking uh, that I didn't drink any of it. So have a good one. Take care. Cheers.